Well, thank you, Jonathan, uh, for doing the announcements today. Thank you to the worship team for their leading us in worship. It's good to just be able to get into God's word. As you can see from the announcements, there's a lot of things happening around the church, and it's just fun to see all of the different activities and different studies, small groups that are active and going, and uh, just good to see the body meeting together and doing some of those things together. Uh, At the end of this message, we're going to be taking communion. If you did not get a communion cup, if you want to slip your hand up in the air, Pastor Grant will bring over the basket to you and he will uh, help uh, make sure that you have that for the communion. If you have a Bible with you today, turn to the book of Exodus. It's the second uh, book in from the beginning of your Bible. We are covering a study of the people of God, and in particular, in particular Moses himself, who is on a journey toward God. And it's not just for him, and it's not just for them, it's for us as well, because there's a lot of things that we can glean from this as we are studying and understanding what a journey toward God looks like. Now, we looked at it last week. We started with the fact that the people of God, the Israelites, were in slavery, They were in bondage, they were defeated, they were uh, oppressed, they were there stuck in that situation in Egypt. And the enemy, which was Egypt at the time, Pharaoh particularly, did not want to let them go, which is like our enemy today. Satan does not want to let people go. He wants you to be defeated, to be discouraged, to be oppressed. And because of that, he will put up a battle when you start trying to get set free. But what we learned last week was that the enemy has a strategy. And we're going to see that strategy unleashed throughout this entire series as we walk through it together. But really, what he, what he did last week and what we saw was that the enemy dealt shrewdly with the people, which is wisely. He dealt sneakily behind the scenes. And then he employed ruthless oppression of the people. Once he had them under control, then he began to impress them, uh, oppressed them, and then he inflicted unthinkable pain when he started killing the children, killing the firstborn, or, or killing the sons, the infants who were being born to the Hebrews. The purpose of them having those attacks, the purpose that the enemy was trying to employ was to cause them and to cause us to give up, to lose hope, to be discouraged, and to accept defeat. But That's not what God's plan was. And what we're going to see today is that God has a plan. Even though the enemy has a plan, even though the enemy wants to create destruction and defeat and oppression, God has a plan to set his people free. God knows, God sees, God hears, and God desires to set the hearts of the people free. So we are going to see that though the enemy is working actively, we're going to see what happens today when God shows up. And this is just the first as we walk through all of this together, but God is not done with the people. God is going to show up. Even though they feel discouraged, even they feel like God doesn't hear any of this, God hears it, God sees it, God knows, and God is going to show up. We're going to walk through, starting in Exodus chapter 2. Before we do that, let's pray and ask for God to bless this. Father, help us, help us to be of you. We want you to receive the glory and the praise and the honor that you are due, but Lord, we want to hear from you, connect to you, and understand how this impacts and affects our lives. Lord, be with us now and help us, Lord, to understand and to glean from your word what we need to hear. We invite you to this place. We want you to be here. We want to lay our burdens down at your feet and know that you care for us. We thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, let's look at Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to read most of Exodus chapter 2, part of Exodus chapter 3. So it's quite a bit of scripture today, but it tells the background story. So amazingly, we'll get through a bunch of scripture today, but next week we'll cover about one verse. So, so I'm making up for it. It all evens itself out in the end. Exodus chapter 2, here's what we see. Remember, the people of God are being oppressed. They are in slavery. The enemy is inflicting pain upon them. It's unthinkable pain because the enemy is trying to kill all of the boys, all of the little boys that are born to the Hebrews, throw them into the river, drown them. Here's what happens. Now, there was a man... He was of the house of Levi. Now, that was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, why would she hide him? Because that's what was going on. They were killing the babies of the day. So she had to do what she could do to hide him to make sure that he didn't get thrown into the Nile River and drowned like all of the other children were getting drowned. So she hid him for three months. Now, this is much like the gospel message. Really, it parallels the story of Jesus because the people of God were oppressed in the time of Jesus. It says that they were in darkness. They were sitting in this darkness and they were being oppressed not only by their own sin, but also by the Roman Empire that was oppressing them. They were in this misery and then miraculously a baby was born to be the redeemer and the deliverer of the people. And that's what happens here in this story. The woman conceived, she hid this baby. When she could not hide him any longer, no longer, she took for him a basket and made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now the sister of the baby stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Can you imagine as a parent, there would be some worry. What if somebody found the child who didn't care about the child and just threw it in the river to drown it? She was in a hopeless position, hoping that God would show up. Well, the sister stood by, wanting to see, waiting to see what was going to happen. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh, the enemy of the people, the daughter of Pharaoh, came down to bathe at the river. And she had a bunch of young women with her, her servants, and they walked beside the, the waters. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. And she looked at this baby and could not bring it in her heart to throw him in the water and drown him. Instead, she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, who was actually the, the baby's sister, who saw all of this happen, came to, Pharaoh and said to, or came to Pharaoh's daughter and said to Pharaoh's daughter, uh, hey, I've got an idea. Do you want me to call a, a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, that's a great idea. Go. So the child went and called the actual child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to the child's actual mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Miraculously, 
This child should have been drowned and thrown into the river, but the child was hidden. Child was found, and now the child's mom actually gets to nurse the baby, and she gets paid for it. How many of you women would love to get paid to nurse your own child? Your actual payment is your child itself, just so you know. But she's getting paid for it. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, when the child grew older, which would be, again, heartbreaking, but it's better than my child being killed, she took the child to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became Pharaoh's daughter's son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's stop right there. That's verse 10. That's verses 1 through 10. At the end of verse 10... To verse 11, in the white little piece between the two lines is 40 years. What happened in those 40 years? Well, we don't know a lot of what happened, but the book of Acts gives us a little bit of a clue. In Acts chapter 7, it says this, in these two verses... Moses was instructed during those 40 years in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So for 40 years in the white space between verse 10 and 11, he spent that time gaining wisdom, gaining knowledge, being very skilled, learning all of the ways of the Egyptians, but something was missing in his life. There was something in his heart. I don't know if he took a DNA test. I don't know if he watched the TV show, uh, you know, that, that was about uh, uh, finding your roots. Maybe he, he watched that. For some reason, he was motivated. I need to go check out my past, check out my culture, my heritage. I need to get to know my actual real legitimate family. And that's what happened during those 40 years. He grew. He was mighty. He was powerful. He had stature. He was part of the king's court. All of these great things happened. And then I need to go know my family more. Verse 11 picks it up 40 years later. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens And he saw that there was an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew, which was one of his people. Now, Moses, in his heart, apparently had compassion because that really bothered him. But it bothered him to the point that it came out in anger and rage. So what did he do? Well, it says, and I want you to note these words because these are important. It says, he looked this way and that. You know what that means? That is what people do who are getting ready to do something they should not do. Understand that? When you are getting ready to do something that you know you should not do, you look this way and that, and you make sure that no one sees you. Seeing no one, now I can go through with and do what is in my mind and heart. Maybe you're looking at something you should not look at. And so what do you do? I'm going to make sure the coast is clear. I'm going to look this way and that. Maybe you're drinking something you should not drink and you know it's not something I should be doing. What do you do? You do it secretly this way and that. You're looking, making sure no one sees you. You're going to steal something. 
What do you do before you seal it? Well, I'm going to look this way and that and make sure the coast is clear and make sure nobody's going to see me. And then I'll go ahead and do what evil is in my heart to do. Moses, look this way and that. No one sees me. Okay. He struck down the Egyptian. What does that mean? He murdered him. It's not he was killing in self-defense. This is a plotted, actual, I'm going to murder him. And then I want to get rid of the evidence. So he digs into the sand and buries him and covers it up and goes on his way. Because I just got away with what I wanted to get away with and nobody saw me. He went out the next day. And then he saw that there were two Hebrews who were fighting together. They were struggling together. And Moses said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the guy answered Moses and said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Remember, he looked this way and that. He didn't see anybody. He thought he was getting away with everything. Buried the guy in the sand. Somebody saw him. His secret got exposed. And the result of that was that Moses was afraid. And thought to himself, surely the thing is known. I can't hide this. Everybody's going to be talking. Everybody knows Because I did what I should not do, and I can't hide it. And maybe no one else saw it, but you know who did see it? God saw it. And God often has a way of exposing things to make sure that you are right with him. Until you come to confess it, it is hidden under the sand. Well, the word did get out. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses did exactly what most people do. He fled. He ran away. As far away as I can get from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian. How often do you run away from hard things? Run away from consequences. They're going to find out I'm facing serious consequences. Maybe it's jail time. For him, maybe it was execution. He wanted to kill me. And so instead of facing it, I'm going to run away from it. As far as I can go, as fast as I can go. And that's what Moses did. He ran away into the desert, into the wilderness, trying to escape the consequences of what was coming down toward him. Between that chapter, end of chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, is another 40 years. And so we're jumping in time, 40 more years. What did Moses do during those 40 years? I have no idea. He tried to run away from his past, maybe. Maybe he felt disillusioned. Maybe he felt wounded. Maybe he felt discouraged. He was hoping his past would never catch up to him. Maybe he tried to start over. He was tending sheep, we know that. He was getting married, he had a family, just doing life. But he's removed from where God really wanted him. Because God had a plan for him. But he ran away from what God was going to do through him. Chapter 3, we pick up 40 years in the future, 
Moses now 80 years old. And here's what it says. Now Moses, there in the wilderness, there in the desert, having run away, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, who was the priest. He was a priest of Midian. Moses led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now most theologians, just note that little phrase, an angel of the Lord. Most theologians believe that in the Old Testament, when you see that phrase, that was a reference to Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Now we don't know if that's true or not, but it sure seems consistent every time you see the angel of the Lord. Because Jesus brought grace. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord was going to do for Moses this day. He came by the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And the Lord said, Do not come near, take off your sandals, because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. See, that's the parallel message of the gospel. God sees his people hurting. He sees what's going on in their lives. He hears what's happening to them, and he does not want to leave them in that state. So what does he want to do instead? He wants to deliver them out of slavery into a good and spacious land. That's eternity. That's heaven and eternity for us. If you put your trust in him, in the deliverer, in the redeemer. Let's talk particularly, though, about this experience that Moses just had. Again, Moses had been in the desert for 40 years. And after 40 years, God gave Moses a burning bush experience. Moses, for 40 years, may have felt, I'm guessing and trying to understand, but maybe after 40 years in the desert, Moses felt disqualified. Have you ever felt disqualified? I have disqualified myself from things in life because of what I have done. Moses may have felt worthless as a person because you can never really truly escape your past until it has been forgiven, until it's been cleansed. I'm still carrying it with me. God wants to remove those burdens. He wants to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. That hadn't happened for Moses. And so Moses may have felt worthless. Moses may have felt purposeless. You know, he went from being in Pharaoh's court, being very much in power, to now a shepherd. Well, that's kind of a change in purpose. And he may have felt purposeless, I'm guessing. He may have felt insignificant. Look at what I have done. Look at my mistakes. I am so insignificant in life. He may have felt defeated. When we feel the most disqualified, when we feel the most like we are defeated, when we hit rock bottom, it's amazing how much at that moment God shows up. 
He's done that in my life, and I'm guessing he's also done that in your life. That you would hit rock bottom, and that's the moment where God showed up the greatest. Well, that's what's going to happen to Moses. All of this is about to change because Moses had a burning bush experience. Now, think about this idea, this concept of a burning bush. First, let's start with this bush. It's a bush. What's a bush? Well, it's vegetation. It's commonplace. It's everywhere. You know, in Wyoming, for us, it's sagebrush. We have sagebrush everywhere. You probably drive by lots and lots of sagebrush plants on a daily basis or maybe during the course of a year, and you probably never pay any attention to them. They're just sagebrush. If you live on property that's near sagebrush and it starts coming into your lawn, then it becomes even a nuisance. It's kind of a pain. It's just ordinary. It's just very common. But here's the amazing thing, that a bush that is ordinary is a great vessel and tool for God. Because God often speaks in extraordinary ways through ordinary things. Think about that. How often in your life has God spoken to you in a very ordinary, through a very ordinary thing in an extraordinary way that just changed the direction of your life? We read this in Exodus chapter 3 verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, out of fire, out of the midst of a bush. Now Moses looked, and behold, the bush was, not, was burning, yet not consumed. This is that ordinary thing. It's an ordinary vessel and vehicle that God chose to use. But does God ever do that today? Well, let me ask you this question. Does God ever use me to speak to you? Do you know, and maybe it's not me, maybe it's a different pastor, which is perfectly fine, but do you know about me that I am very ordinary? There is nothing extraordinary about me. My wife doesn't even think I'm that extraordinary. The only person in life that does is my mom, and I love her because of that. She thinks I'm extraordinary, but I'm not. I'm just ordinary. I am ordinary physically. I know that shocks you. Uh, please pick your jaws up. <laughs> My hair is gone. I have weight to lose. I'm not standing up here as an Olympic athlete talking to you. Pretty ordinary. I'm pretty ordinary intellectually. I, I feel like I'm kind of smart, but I'm not a genius in any way at all. I, I read, I've studied, and I continue to read and study, and that helps. And I think God's given me some wisdom and discernment and knowledge, but really, from an from a intellectual standpoint, pretty, pretty ordinary. As a person, just pretty ordinary in height, not exceptionally tall, like Grant freakishly tall, and not super short, you know, but just ordinary. God can use the common in extraordinary ways when God gets a hold of that ordinary vessel. Do you understand what I mean? You may have a pastor you listen to regularly, and I hope that that pastor would feel the same way. Because if they don't, pride can come out of that, and that's not a good thing. But really it's just that God shows up. We can have church services here, and I can speak a message, and God shows up. And it's nothing about me, or it's nothing about Grant when he preaches. It's just that God shows up 
And he does extraordinary things through very ordinary means. You know, he may have spoken to you through a video you saw on YouTube. Maybe it's a very ordinary video, but God just really got a hold of you through that. Or maybe it's a song you heard on the radio, and it's an ordinary song. Maybe you've heard the song a hundred times, but that one time, God showed up. And it like just radically got a hold of me. Maybe it's through an online post that you read, a friend coming into your life, speaking truth. You had no idea, but they spoke something to you, and God showed up in that moment. Maybe it's an ordinary experience of going to the mountains, and you've gone hundreds of times to the mountains. But that one particular time, you went, and God showed up. And in an extraordinary way, through a very ordinary situation, God spoke He still does that today. And he did that through the disciples of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. And this is not encouraging if you're a pastor or a Christian. Because he puts it and lays it on the line that you're not that great. Here's what he says. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. And I would read this personally for me. He could say, consider your calling. You're you're called to ministry, Aaron. Not many of you are wise. You're not very wise. Not many of you are powerful. Aaron, you're not really very powerful. You're not of rich or noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So in other words, Aaron, you're actually kind of foolish. But God used you. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And even Paul says, and I, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers... I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I'm not a great speaker, he's saying. And when I was with you, I was actually in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And in my speech and my message, they were not very plausible. They weren't words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Moses, guess what? God is going to use an ordinary bush to get a hold of you in an extraordinary way. Not because the bush is great, it's God is great. And you're not that great, Moses, but I am going to use you and work through you to deliver my people. You know, what I get from that, too, is this. That God will use all of us when our hearts and our lives are open to him and say, God, I'm pretty ordinary, Just use me in an extraordinary way, however you want. Is your heart like that and your life like that where you've said to God, use me however you see fit in an extraordinary way? Not because I'm that great, but because you, God, are that great. That's point number one. Point number two is this, that though God speaks in extraordinary ways through ordinary things, God required Moses to pay attention And turn aside. Now, it says this in verses 3 and 4. And Moses said, when he saw this burning bush, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight. I'm not going to ignore this. I'm going to turn aside. Why is the bush not burned? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I want you to note this. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. 
What does that mean? It means Moses could have just passed on by. A, a bush on fire or something on fire is not really that you know, extraordinary either. Other things light on fire. It could have lit on fire in numbers of ways. And, but this particular one... Moses noticed something about it. It was not being consumed. In other words, it was burning, but not burning up. Or it was on fire, but not really on fire. And Moses said, I've got to turn aside and see what's going on. At the moment Moses turned aside, God spoke. Think about this with me for just a moment. How many times in your life is God trying to get your attention and you are not paying attention. We live in a culture that is very busy. We are engaged with electronics all the time, media all the time, busy running from one thing to another, the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And all the while, there's a burning bush over here, and we're too busy to see it. And God is calling out with this burning bush. And when you finally stop... And turn aside and pay attention, that's when God speaks. God will speak in extraordinary ways through ordinary things, but my part of it is I've got to turn aside and pay attention to God. And too often, we miss what He's doing because we fail to turn aside and see Him at work. Does, does this make sense? I'm going to encourage you to do this to build in opportunities and moments where you can put aside all electronics, you could put aside the busyness, and you could just turn aside to God and say, God, what do you have for me? And sometimes when you finally do that, God speaks volumes to you. Do you know, sometimes God does that in the middle of a church service. I could be up here preaching what I think is the greatest message ever preached by another person, and God is saying something different to you. And he's saying to you, turn aside. Don't pay attention to him. Tune him out. Hard on the ego, I know. But just turn aside. Because I've got something different for you. It's been amazing to me how many people have come up to me and said, wow, I got so much. That was such a great message. And then they'll recount to me what they heard out of the message. And I will say to them, were you in the same service that I was in? Because I didn't say any of that. What are you talking about? I, had, I didn't talk about any of that at all. Well, it really ministered to me. Okay, you know what that was? It was a moment where you put aside my message and you turned and faced the burning bush of God and God spoke to you. You needed this. It was for you at that moment. But you finally turned aside. God will speak through devotions. God will speak through prayer. God will speak through events that you see. Maybe it's not a burning bush. Maybe a burning car you see on the interstate. And you turn aside and you pay attention and God shows up. And that's what happened here. God was going to speak through an in an extraordinary way, through an ordinary thing, but not until Moses actually paid attention and gave God his undivided attention. Give God your undivided attention and wait for him, and he will speak the message you need to hear at the time that you need to hear it. Be in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading 
And he may say, take some time and pray. Don't do that right now. Just focus on this. And when you do, God shows up in incredible ways. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, do not quench the spirit. You know how we quench the spirit? By being so busy, so consumed that we pass right by burning bush experiences and fail to see what God is doing. That was point number two. Point number two, God waited. He required Moses to turn aside and to pay attention. Number three, God, once Moses did this, God gave Moses incredible, amazing grace. Remember, Moses had been wandering away for 40 years. Moses was maybe purposeless. Maybe he felt insignificant, maybe worthless, maybe disqualified. Moses is going to learn from God, I've known where you've been the whole time. I know what's going on in your life. I have heard it. I've seen it. I know it. And I'm here for you. God gave Moses amazing grace when he finally and completely listened. Do you know what amazing grace is? It is the unearned and undeserved loving kindness of a loving God toward us when we least deserved it. That's what amazing grace is. And here's what Exodus says. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, he called to him out of the bush saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then God says, wait a second, don't come near. Take your sandals off. Because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. No, what is he saying? Moses recognized the holiness of this moment. When God shows up, that's a holy interaction. The holy almighty God speaking to me is a holy moment. Recognize it as such. So take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Now, do you have to literally take off your shoes? Well, maybe sometimes he really wants you to do that. But others, maybe he's just saying in your heart, take off your shoes. Sit and stay a while. Serve me. Be in this moment because it's a holy moment with God. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Then the Lord said to him, notice these words. He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What is he saying with this? Well, do you know? That these, these little verses, this is the summary of the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus did. God said, I have seen the affliction of the people. I have heard of their cry. I know their suffering. So I will come down and I will lead them out. That's exactly what Jesus did. God saw it. God heard it. God knew it. Jesus came down to lead us from where we were into a good and spacious land, eternity. For Moses, think of what that did for him. Moses, you ran away 40 years ago. You murdered somebody, which really should have disqualified you. You, you buried the person. You're trying to hide the evidence. You ran away. I saw it. And I've seen it since. And I've seen you since. 
I have heard your cries. I know how much you have suffered over the past 40 years. So I have come down to set you free, Moses. And to the people of God, I have seen the affliction of the Egyptians. I have heard all of your cries. I know your sufferings. I know where you live. I know what you're doing. I know how you're feeling. So Moses, I'm going to use you, an ordinary vessel, in an extraordinary way to deliver my people from where they are today to eternity, to hope, to the promise, like to blessing. That's what God does in our lives as well. He sees you. He hears you. He knows. And you may think he's slow to act, but he's doing it in his perfect time. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he will deliver. This is the message of the burning bush, a burning bush experience where God shows up in the ordinary in an extraordinary way. The same way he has done with many of you in here. He spoke to you in an extraordinary way through an ordinary thing. But he wants you and I to turn aside and pay attention to him and what he's doing. And then he wants us to have comfort in the fact that he knows, he hears, he sees, he cares, and he will deliver. Before we go into our time of communion today, what, what does this mean to us today? Well, perhaps you've been running from God. Perhaps you're carrying pain from the past. Perhaps you're doing today what you shouldn't be doing today. You're looking this way and that, making sure that nobody sees. God sees that. And God is trying to get a hold of you. He may be using this message to get a hold of you. Maybe he's using another thing in life. Maybe a good friend, something, whatever it might be. He's trying to get a hold of you because he cares about you. And he wants you to turn aside and pay attention and to say, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you have for me, I am willing to follow you with all of my heart, all of my life, and all of my soul. I want you to know today that whatever has happened or what is happening, God sees, God hears, God knows, and he has come down to deliver you. We're going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of communion here today. So would you please pray with me? Father God, thank you for this time that we can share, that we can learn, that we can grow in your grace. And I pray, Father, that we would, like Moses, though we may have wandered away from you for 40 years, maybe we've tried to run away from our past. Maybe we've tried to bury it under the sand. But Lord, you're here to set us free. You know the pain, you know the hurt, you know the things that, and the burdens that people are carrying, the way that they're, they're being uh, oppressed, defeated, and discouraged. And thank you, God, that you have come to set us free. Lord, please, as we take communion, may this be a moment, a holy moment, where we are standing or sitting on holy ground, that we would recognize the holiness of the moment where you, the creator, Come down and meet with us. Lord, as we continue to walk through Exodus over the weeks ahead, continue to speak to our hearts. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.